Hey everybody, welcome back to the Resistance Broadcast. I'm John. Thank you so much for joining us on this Monday or whenever you're listening or watching. Uh, we hope your summer is going well as we march closer to the debut of Ahsoka. I'm John. Uh, with me as always is James Lacey. Under the weather should be back with us later this week for TRB Live. So get well soon, Lacey. Uh, if you checked out our episode last Thursday, you may have noticed that she helped us out out of the chat. But uh, mm-hmm. get back to us soon here in the base. We miss you, Lacey. Uh, but we do have a guest, and our guest is an actor, musician, uh, designer, now a writer, director, producer, a proud New Zealander, and a 501st member. Welcome to TRB, Jackson Hall. What's going on, Jackson? Hello. How you guys doing? <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, we're glad to have you. Absolutely. So... As people listening or watching may have seen the title of this episode, you know, how Star Wars continues to inspire generations of filmmakers. Now, Jackson has, as I just listed, has done a ton of things, one of which being uh, a fan series, uh, not even a fan film, a fan series called After Andor, which takes place... Uh, after Andor. After Andor. So it's, yeah, it's perfectly After titled. Andor. After <laughs> Endor. Did I write Andor? Yeah, like, I mean, you did. Yeah. Well, we yeah, know after. Well, so he. It's he after Return create. of the Jedi, I should have called it After Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so to be clear, to be clear, Jackson did not create Rogue One. Just so everyone <laughs> understands yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, no, after Endor, and basically that trooper that Chewie takes out with his bowcaster and flips over the tree and lands on his back, uh, is where we kick off with your with your film, right? So uh, mm, I want you to be able to let people know where they can find it and tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Uh, thank you. So uh, the series is called After Endor, and it is set in the immediate moments after Return of the Jedi, really, like you said with that guy. Um, I, every time I watched that, I always thought, that guy didn't die. What happened to him? You know, he just <laughs> kind of takes a bit of a tumble. Might have got hurt. Might have got knocked out. What happens? So um, I kind of wanted to explore that idea. And it's something I talked about for a long time, about this idea I had. Then somebody finally talked me into making it. I think I was always scared about making it because I didn't know what platform I would put it on because it's not, I'm never going to get it made as like a Star Wars movie, right? I'm just a guy from New Zealand. So um, somebody just said, why don't you just put it out as a fan series on YouTube? There are so many good fan series on there and um, people are seeking them out. I watch a lot of them. You know, I, I'm in Fiber First, so a lot of my friends and stuff would be like, oh, did you see this one about this? costume or whatever that they're building or they'll post it in the group chats and stuff because it's good reference or it's just fun and we love star wars so much we just want to make more and see more so yeah i was like you know what let's just throw it on youtube why does it have to be if it's not a movie don't make it why can't you just you know film anything and originally i was even going to just shoot it on my phone just to make it and put it out there but ended up having this incredible crew come on board and we made this thing that i think is punching way above <laughs> its weight class, you know? Um, but yeah, so it's, it's on YouTube at youtube.com slash at after indoor. And you can go and watch the series, the episodes individually. We broke it up into six, five minute episodes because not everybody's attention span can take a 30 minute thing <laughs> at one time. But now we also have a, um, a full length version of it up there as well. If you want to sit and watch the full 30 minute short very cool. Very cool. I, yeah. I got to say, I, I did 
love this. I thought this was a really good exploration of uh, good and evil in Star Wars. Uh, thank you. And uh, and certainly the surprises along the way and the ending are ones uh, to my sensibility. Uh, but ja- I mean, Jackson, you, you know specifically how it ends and maybe not everybody does, but uh, yeah, no spoilers. Not, Don't not, spoil it. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying maybe not everybody is going to be super happy with how things roll out, but I love movies like that. So. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. That's a good um, little I teaser, also, I think, for people. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed how, like, if you wanted to serialize this and make it a weekly thing, I know you didn't, but just imagining it, because like at the end of the first one, there's that little cliffhanger where he's like, well, what is that? What is he looking yeah. at? So we did that, do that. We we released it weekly. Oh, you did as it was going through. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think cool. I didn't send it over to you until it had all of them up because I wanted you to see the whole thing. Right. Yeah. But yeah. it did okay. come out weekly, and we would leave people hanging for a whole week. That's on great. This little five minute video. <laughs> Everyone's like, it needs well to be done. longer. And I'm like, I know it is. No, well, just wait. Well done, and I just love the oh, idea because it makes me think of. Um, like those, you know, from a certain point of view books, which some of which I, I think are a bit silly, but you're taking this throwaway character. You're just like, oh, remember that guy Chewie smoked with a bowcaster? And then you're like, all right, let's take that and pick up from there. And I just think that's so cool. Um, where where did you film that? In what what was that in New Zealand? I assume. Yeah, yeah, we filmed it in New Zealand. Um, we're really lucky down here. There's a lot of greenery and there's a lot of forests and stuff you can use. And sure. I just happened to find this location that's literally a minute from my house. It's on my road. There's no this way. access track that walks through the forest to a waterfall. And it's a really uh, sort of beautifully kept secret. Not that many people know it's there. So I knew that we could go and film. And we could film there during um, the wintertime, which we did. We had to shoot them anyway. We just got lucky between the weather. There wouldn't be many people out. Not, no one's going swimming in the winter. So we just got right. to this whole forest to ourselves. And I was, there's spots in there that I was just like, this could be indoor. And, and, you know, obviously we didn't have the giant big redwoods to use. Mm-hmm. So as, as the story progresses in, in our hero journeys, I tried to kind of give each episode a new location that it feels like we're traveling through indoor. So not the whole moon is covered with, the solid forest, you know, maybe there's clearings and there's yeah. bits on the edge of the forest that it thins out because we are on a journey. So I wanted it to feel like you're progressing through. It wasn't just a different spot that looked the same. It was, we are moving through a new area. Oh, this is more of indoor. We don't get to see this. So right. I, I wanted to create that. So, you know, I really get away with that, that we're moving away from these giant sequoias all the time. And the red was that we move into a fern forest and then out into bits where there's a bit more like uh, leafy stuff. And yeah, I think it works. Sure. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Congrats. Um, Thank you. Look forward to seeing what else you get into. Um, and there's a lot of culture around fan films and uh, we got, got to give a shout out to sneaky zebra. Who's part of our TRB community who also does fan films. Um, he's appeared on the pod a couple of times uh, and just seeing what you guys go through and how much you put into it is truly remarkable and inspiring in its own right. So, uh, awesome. Oh, thank work, you. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, a um, tricky one to navigate it cause you want to make it well, 
but it's hard to justify putting a lot of money into a production on something that you know you can't monetize because sure. it's not yeah. your IP and it, it is an homage and it's something that you're doing for the love of it and to add to the universe and the community. But obviously, um, Disney don't want people coming and stealing their IP and profiting off of it, but you and can com- complement it. We've seen that at big lengths uh, with other Star Wars creators that were like, I'm doing Star Wars, I'm doing Star Wars fan film and to have it monetized for a while, but then to see Disney shut it down and to see fans backlash against that and sort of like get into yeah, like nobody a wants, nobody struggle wants against it. It's like, uh, it's again, just like your story, it's sort of like heroes on both sides. And it's, it's, it's <laughs> tricky when you're looking at some of that stuff. Um, but it is, it is a, a, an interesting and noteworthy pursuit of um, something fun yeah. Uh, especially when you're you're doing this, you went in completely saying, "I'm not going to monetize this, and I'm doing it for the love of Star Wars," and yeah. to potentially see um, if that love for filmmaking can grow in myself to develop and and sort of pitch what I've worked on as a, a bigger career, and and it's awesome to see, man. I hope the best. Thank for you. you. Well, that means a lot to me, and you know, obviously, the dream result is that. Um, somebody at Disney or, or uh, Lucasfilm sees this and goes, sure. this is a really cool idea. These are cool creators and finds a way for what we do to be involved in an official capacity, whether it's like a live action series of visions where mm-hmm. they get a bunch of different filmmakers to make a live action single episode series. You know, it's 30 minutes long. It's a separate Star cool. Wars story. You created it. It's not the animated ones. It's like, fan visions i thought that something like that like a film festival or something is really cool um so that would be like you know one of the the dream result is to end up for this to be officially involved somehow sure the worst case scenario is that i had a whole lot of fun with the people that i really care about developing a story (laughs) that i'm really proud of and i got to be a biker scout in the star wars universe that i created and put it out there into the world and that's not a bad thing for that to be the worst case scenario that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and look, man, they got the the deep fake guy. They hired him, so who knows? Uh, what, what, <laughs> yeah, you know, keep keeping it out there. But yeah, so for everyone, after Endor, I misspoke before because we've just been talking for Andor about Andor for a while. After Endor, YouTube.com slash at After Endor, and check that out for Jackson. But now it's time to nerd out. It's time to nerd out, and we are bringing back a segment we haven't done in a little while. So James, let's fire up one with the Force. Force is with me, and I'm one with the Force. All right, one with the Force this week is going to give us four questions, and we're going to kick it off with a fun one, uh, but it's sort of one of those retrospective lookbacks. Maybe we've reached the peak already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to kick it off with this one uh, for you. What is the one scene in Star Wars that is the peak moment in the franchise that it's not reached since? Uh, Jackson, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Really kick us off with Will of Force this week. What is your big one scene that you think uh, was peak Star Wars? We're never going back. That we haven't replicated since? That Yeah, it has not, it has reached not reached that, that level, that height oh, yet. Man. Um, it could still be possible, but yeah. what do you think that moment is? That's really tricky. 
because you know there's obviously you want to pick stuff from the original ones but then that feels like that discredits everything that came after it right yeah. um so obviously you know like that i want to pick the moment that darth vader is, is unmasked and is talking to luke that's what comes to mind for me now is that moment where he says you know like i was wrong or and he says you were right about me tell your sister you were right about me oh man. and then yeah. and, and he dies you know like that's this moment of reconciliation and and full circle coming around i think that like has been done since but not at the i mean that it's darth vader and luke skywalker and these mortal enemies that we've learned as father and son. And then it has that moment where he's like, he gives his life to save Luke in that moment. And then he says to him, like, you were right about me. And I should have done all this stuff, you know, and he's, he's on his deathbed giving his regrets. I think if I was going to pick a moment that is peak Star Wars, maybe hasn't been topped. I'd pick that moment from Return of the Jedi. That's a good one. John, um, I'm going to ask you, are we sort of allowed to break the rules a little bit or does it have to be in the, in the, in the, in the actual like movies? Well, no, it doesn't have to be in the movies. If you, if you think something from, oh, I don't know, Star Wars Rebels is uh, a peak Star Wars moment, then that's peak Star Wars for you. You're going to pick something Uh, from my film, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's when the, uh. Well, it's when mm. the scouter falls off of the back of the bike. That's not in your film. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the movie he was just talking about. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, tell me, tell me if I can cheat here with this. Tell me if you'll accept this, John. Uh, the Phantom Menace trailer. Oh. Uh, yeah, you can't do that. All right, I kind of figured you might not let me get away with that. Give me something in story. But I think that, that I, I was going to say, and I'll be short with it, but I think like that piece of live action Star Wars content being released into the public is the absolute top peak Star Wars. I feel like it's that's, just like I mean, the hype and everything thing. around uh, it. I understand it. Because mm. um, I, I, I understand it's, it's the original two is probably the big one. I'm going to go with a little bit more of an obvious answer. I think that, um, I think they, they've been chasing the, uh, no, I am your father moment for years. And, uh, that may have not even been the peak in the moment, but it's the moment that when people who not are, are not even really big fans of star Wars, but they just think of the cultural impact of star Wars. That's usually the moment that they go to, and mm-hmm. I think that Lucasfilm has been, um, man, it's funny, John, you just, you just brought this up and I, <laughs> I brought it up that you brought it up. I know I brought it up originally, but it's funny that you situation. mentioned it recently. Yeah. And maybe it's cause we're thinking about this concept, yeah. but, um, but I think it, it's, it's something that Lucasfilm has been chasing for years and trying to say, uh, is there any way that we could have our own moment that is as big and culturally impactful as this and uh, I don't, I don't know if they've done it since, but I know that they have had some pretty big ones from, let's say, like the Mandalorian and stuff. So there's been some pretty big moments that have changed 
the pop culture mm. uh, view on Star Wars. What, what's yeah, your? If pick, you woke up someone think? on the street, I mean, sorry to interrupt. But if you woke up someone on the street and say, "Give me a quote from Star Wars," I'd say none of the team people. They'll probably say it wrong. They'll say, "Luke, I'm your father," but you yeah, know, they, yeah, yeah. they'll say that line. And so, all right, how, how can you top that? It's one of those things that, like, every almost right. everybody on the planet. If you gave me the opportunity to say mm-hmm. a quote from mm-hmm. Star Wars, obviously it must be a pretty impactful moment. Yeah. And they do the, you know, too. Oh, Tommy Boy. <laughs> Tommy Boy when he's doing it into the fan in his office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and countless others. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that is something they have been chasing for a long time, I think. But mine is close to that. It's in Empire. And, again, you know, to, to be clear, this isn't um, – Jackson, you sort of alluded to it. This doesn't mean that it's fallen off since this moment because there's 9.9 moments all over the place, but this is the 10 moment for each of our opinions. And for me, it's right before that when Vader's silhouette is in the carbon chamber and you see the mist and Luke's looking up to him and Vader goes, the force is with you, young Skywalker, but you're not a Jedi yet. Um, for me, I can't watch that scene. Look, you, can you see this? I have. Oh, you got goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So that That's... moment for me, how it's shot, how Vader's silhouette is there, mm. how Luke is looking up to him. Uh, and the irony that that's his dad without him knowing it. And he's looking up to him and he's saying the force is with you, but you're not a Jedi yet. And how, how James Earl Jones voice just delivers that line in the whole set. It, to me, it's just perfect. And colors I, in that scene are so cool too. You know, it's like, yes. they really mm-hmm. use the smoke the and the blues, colors the and orange. Like different. Exactly. Oh, There's a lot of man. cinematic stuff going on there in the storytelling sense. But just from a viewer thing of watching it and, and without understanding a whole lot of the media um, techniques and stuff that we use when you are making film, it's just beautiful yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Three good picks though. Good job. I, I honestly thought you with the way you were setting that up, John, I thought you were going to go. I love you. I know. I saw you making a face. I wasn't sure what you were like. You you were. I, I just, you were like, it was a little bit before that. And I was like, I know where he's going, but it yeah. wasn't. It was close. It was, it was in it. the same realm, same room. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's we move all on chose to the next Vader, one here. Though. We all chose Vader. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> Vader was in all of them. And we all mm-hmm. went original trilogy too, but yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Let's move on to this next one here. Uh, you're walking down the street and somehow stumble upon Wonder Woman's lasso of truth. This is a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, it actually works. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know, Wonder Woman's when it when it wraps around someone, they're compelled to tell the truth no matter what. So uh, you decide to go ahead and use that uh, on someone, and the first be- person you jump uh, or you stumble upon is. Uh, as a group, John Favreau and Dave Filoni. There they are, right in front of you. Uh, so you laugh at would them have up. It. You can ask them <laughs> Just one question. The <laughs> yeah, this is this is probably the most likely scenario we've ever done. Um, Not only you have you found a lesson knowing... of truth, you look up and then you're like, oh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, a perfect yeah, what a day. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what question do you ask them knowing that you they have to tell the truth? John, I'm starting with you on this one. What's your question? Um, will Pedro Pascal 
be more on set performing as the Mandalorian and be unmasked in future Mandalorian seasons and Dave Filoni's movie? Not a bad question. Uh, uh, Jackson, how do you feel about his like not being unmasked much in season three and his sort of like fall into a voice role? I don't know. It It's one of those things that you have to look at it in two, or I look at it in two ways, you know, as an actor and understanding the scope of what he does and the projects he's working on and understanding what big names like that bring to a production. I, I know how it works and know how Hollywood works and that kind of thing. Pedro's an amazing actor. He does a great job with the voice of that character. And the times we have seen him with his helmet off, I've loved it, but I've never been like disappointed with his helmet on. Um, I also saw a really cool quote from Danny Trejo one time that said, um, someone was like, why don't you do your own stunts? And he was like, because I'm putting someone out of a job if I was to do my own stunts. This guy gets mm-hmm. to come in and support his family through doing this. So I think it's a pretty cool opportunity that Pedro Pascal can continue to do the amazing movies he's working on outside of The Mandalorian. He can come in and do the voice stuff in Mandalorian and a couple of other actors get an opportunity to put that on their CV that they're involved in The Mandalorian. From a production standpoint, I think that stuff's pretty cool, actually, that everybody can have their opportunity here, right? Because those people get to put on their resume that they were the lead in The Mandalorian doing stunts, doing other stuff that they do. That's really, really cool. So kudos to that. But then as a fan of just Star Wars and that character and you want to see more of him, you know, you do want to go like, oh, you can see it sometimes like, oh, is it a cop out? He's not even the one that's there doing it. But to be honest, I I don't get bummed on that. I, I think that I've accepted this character. I've accepted his rules, his code, and this is the way. That's how it is, you know, and, and it, I think it is really, it's, it's cool. It's not a problem for me. I loved that episode where they went in and it was him and Bill Burr and they took their helmets off oh, and they great. were infiltrating that thing undercover. Amazing episode. Yeah. But some of my favorite episodes, Absolutely. he hasn't taken his helmet off and I've never had a problem with it. So I'm okay with that, but it is, it would be something cool to know about, but maybe, maybe I wouldn't want to know cause it's cool when he takes it off and you're like, Hey, there he is. He's back. <laughs> do the Leonardo well, DiCaprio t- moment the, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> right right <laughs> yes like oh we're getting serious you know it's getting serious yeah. when he puts his hands up yeah. like this and you're like uh oh here we go well because yeah. my thing not not to make it a thing I that point of view I appreciate and I get that and I almost think sometimes Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder deserve more billing the way David Prowse had in the original trilogy because they are yeah. doing the physical work where James Earl Jones, you know, did the voice. It's similar to that. Now I just, I get a little miffed when I, I get some weird sense. I make up in my head that people make star Wars, their second fiddle. And I see him doing last of us, which he gets getting paid more to do. And you see him getting nominated for that. And then you see Mando not getting the nomination. You're like, but if he, you know, are they writing the series around the fact that he's choosing to do something else? That's where my mind goes. Um, mm. but I completely understand what you're saying too, because he is knocking it out from the voice perspective. So I, I, I can appreciate all points of view on it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. cool. I, I, tend, I tend to lean towards you too, Jackson. I, I tend to think like I like the idea that we have a prominent character in pop culture that doesn't take his helmet off and is what it is. It's what Master Chief should have been and all that. And I, I, I think it's cool that he's doing it, and I think it's neat that they got a celebrity to do it. Um, but that just raises the question of if you have the celebrity, then why don't you have them take their helmet off? And it's like, well, then we sort of you're maybe missing yeah. the point. Then you well, get Sebastian so, Shaw, and everyone's disappointed. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just but you know, so um, I mean, in my series, not to bring it back to that, but obviously my character has his helmet on because he's a biker scout, and it was something that I thought about a lot. Is that I tried to use it as a, a tool of storytelling. When he's got the helmet on, he's a soldier. He's engaged. He's in his mode. This is who he's trained to be. And in the moments in the series where I wanted to show some humanity, it's off. He has to disengage for a moment from this world because he is a human. And I think that that was something that I noticed about, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about Star Wars, these faceless, almost robotic soldiers that mm-hmm. we know are people inside these suits, but they're faceless. We never get to see them. It makes them yeah. more scary. And so because my story was wanting to tell a little bit of the story of this stormtrooper without doing like what with the character Finn, where he is, he's a coward and he takes it off because he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. My scout is a, a genuinely loyal, devoted um, soldier to the, this Legion, Vader's um, 501st. And um, his role in this, in the empire as an Imperial stormtrooper as biker scout. So, when he has to be a human, he takes it off. And I think that they've kind of done a little bit of that with the Mandalorian too, right? They separate him. When he's taking yeah. his helmet off, sure. it's a different moment. It really is. He's exposing himself. He feels vulnerable when you're watching those episodes. And it's yeah. something that I tried to take into account too. And I thought about the Mandalorian a lot. And with the helmet acting stuff, you know, sometimes you're like, how do you get emotion across and, and, and gesture and like – something when you've got this thing that completely covers all of the parts of the human body that we use to show emotion. So it's, it is an interesting thing. And I think it helped me appreciate the Mandalorian a little bit more in that we do feel everything he's going through, even though we can't yeah. see his face. And that's a good challenge as a filmmaker to do that as well. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go fairly simple and fairly quick. I just want to know between the two of them, what are your plans with Lucasfilm? What are your plans with Star Wars? Um, so that question being like, John, like, it, are like, where are you at? Is this like, is it Mandalorian and out? Or do you want to get your own movie? Do you want to take a bigger role at, uh, at Lucasfilm? Do you want to be, do you want Star Wars to be the other now. part of your life? What? <laughs> you might like my question. Um, I've, I've been thinking. And then, and then the same question for Dave, it's like, what is what's next? You're obviously here for Lucasfilm for a long time, but like, you know, we know you're leading up to a movie, but like, you have to be thinking like, what's beyond that movie? That isn't that that, that right now is like your goal, but like, you know that when you hit that goal, there's going to be what's next. Where do I go mm-hmm. with Star Wars? And it doesn't have to be. Don't tell me where you're going to be because nobody knows where you're going to be. But what I want to know is where do you see yourself in. 10 years, you know, yeah. kind of thing in, in the relation to Star Wars. Um, and I would be able to, with that information, just sort of say, like, I don't know where it's going, but I know where their heart is at. 
and that gives me a little bit of insight into all of the decisions that these two guys are making. Mm-hmm. John, what do you think? What's your, or I'm uh, sorry, where, where are we at? Jackson, Jackson what I was your question? Me. Yeah. I reckon my question would be, and it's a little bit cheeky, but I think I would say something like, has there been moments or things that you feel like you had to compromise on that you didn't want to by the big bosses coming in and saying like, uh-huh. we actually want you to do it like this. Has there been a moment where you've been like, no, that's not where I wanted to take this. And they've gone, this is where we're going with it. So we need you guys to come on board and, and run it that way too. Yeah. Has there been any moments like that through production? And then they got to tell me the truth. So I, you know, yeah. it would be interesting to know what compromises have, and and not even compromises, straight up like no's have been dealt to them by this big studio from it becoming the Star Wars that um, Filoni knows and loves and wants to create versus what um, Disney's actually willing to put out. And I don't think there's a problem with that. I would, I'm always interested in the behind the scenes conversations that take something from it being like this and moving Me forward, too. like Colin Trevorrow's. Star Wars and what it was that didn't work that caused them to go off. Like the real reasons, not the media, the publicity, the PR talking reasons. What are the things like that? I'd love to know what they are. Mm -hmm. Not that it's a negative thing, but but just, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Some, Some might say it was the script. Since we saw it, we read it, you know? Yeah. For, for that project. Um, but those are all for them, great for, questions. For Filoni and, and, um, and oh, mate, what, what are the bits that they go like, I really, really wanted to do this. That's what my plan that was. was yeah. cool but I wasn't allowed to. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. John, Dave, what was uh, what was this like fictional director's cut going to look like? Yeah. Kind Did of you guys yeah, really want to rush Grogu back to Mando or was that a push by Disney? You know? Yeah. Was Grogu yeah. supposed to turn into a really important, serious warrior who's yeah. wielding the force in a way that makes him a really formidable opponent? And then did you discover the marketing power of this little toy baby Yoda right. that sells so well to children? Did that then make you have to go, oh, we got to keep him cute. We got to keep him nonviolent we got to make sure he doesn't kill anybody because he's a children's toy and he's a children's figure and we're selling this to children. He can't be violent. And maybe the original intention was to have this kid turn into a warrior and maybe Disney came in and we're like, no, we want to keep him as a marketing thing because it really is making us a lot of money. And I know that that can seem silly to you as storytellers, but it's a really important part of the merchandising aspect, which is a big part of our business. And so we're going to do this and do that. They'll Who give knows? that warrior aspect of him to somebody else because yeah. they'll be able to pair up Grogu with Ray or something later down the line. And, and say, he'll, now that he's a lot older, he can wield the lightsaber and be the he'll, warrior. He'll still be a warrior because they got him practicing with paintball right now, but <laughs> it won't be like Anakin cutting off heads or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, in the first season, he stops the mud horn. And he uses all of his power to lift this thing up. And Mando pulls yep. a knife and stabs it in the head and drops it. Right. And it's this crazy moment. He was about to die. He's covered in mud. It's brutal. He mm-hmm. gets the hell kicked out of him by this beast. And then baby Grogu, at the very beginning of his journey, is just learning to use the force. And he saves him. We never really do that again. 
you know? He, he does a little bit, but it's never that, and it's never as violent after that. And I always wondered, is there an aspect of it that they've reined in because of his marketability? And I, it might yeah. not be at all, but it would be cool to laugh like, them up and ask. <laughs> I like that you brought that up because I bring that up and, and use the juxtaposition of that against in Book of Boba Fett when he uses that same power to lull the rancor to sleep versus having it meet its demise. And I see that as him becoming more of the Jedi type, but I agree. You you know, once once he became Elvis, you're like, we got to make sure we keep that going. So it's a great, Mm. it's another great question. Um, Well, speaking of great questions, we got a third one here and it's going to be, you can take one Star Wars live action series and make it a movie, or you can take one Star Wars movie and make it a series. But the caveat to this is that it will replace the current existence of whatever you're making it uh, take its place of. So whichever one you are being inspired from, you lose the original of what you're going with. And I'm going to say the one that I think is true for me, and I imagine John might be the same. Uh, It's just that one little tweak at the end. I'm going to go with Solo. I I would rather... I I love the movie Solo, but I think based on what we got uh, as far as fan reception and how the movie was received, I think if we can pull a mulligan and we could say, hold on, let's rewind it. Let's try that one again. I say give Alden the the Disney Plus series and let people uh, get it for free uh, and let them not have to pay for uh, their access to see that thing, in which case they can sort of like boycott it. Whereas like people can like boycott it because they hate The Last Jedi, but then still turn it on their TV privately and watch the thing uh, and not have to like really give them any money. None so of those guys be- boycott anything. They're all, they all I'm, went to see indie. They all, they, they just, but they did, but if, <laughs> I'm just saying people didn't go see Solo because they were mad right at the time. I think given, given another example, let that character be even more fleshed That's out. That's a good pick. Yeah. And and yeah, and that sort is of a good rewriting choice, that script. Um, I'm gonna go with, with I'm gonna point. go with solo on that. Um, uh, John or Jackson, which one are you picking? Man, that's a great shout. Honestly, you made me rethink that now. Um, I quite agree with you. You know, we could have we could have gone down that road and, and explored a little bit more of, and and maybe not put as much pressure on Alden to be Harrison Ford's Han Solo because it's a film. Mm-hmm. When it's a show, it feels like there's less pressure on it, you know? <clears throat> That's really interesting. I mean, it's it's hard because I agree with you, so I want to pick what you pick, but I want to pick something different for the sake of the conversation <laughs> go, now. Go for it. If go I for picked, it. I love Rogue One as a film. I think it's incredible. I think it's one of my favorite. Um, and in the interest of wanting to see more of it, have it being an eight to 10 hour long thing with more of the stories of the characters building up to it or building up to this big event of Rogue One. Rogue One might be a really cool You get your episodes with Jin and Bodhi and yeah. Yeah, K2 and Sony, you know, and able to do flashbacks in each one and kind of, oh, this is how they met. This is what happened with this. And I know we'll get a bit of that with Bays alone. Yeah. Exactly, right? Like it would be so cool to see a little bit of each more each of those characters 
building up. And, and like I said, Andor will probably cover a lot of this as well. But if I have to pick one, I guess I would pick that reluctantly because I don't want to erase Rogue One from the um, existence because I, I, yeah, I think it is an incredible movie. Um, and it gives Vader the moment we've always wanted from him. And it's got some beautiful, beautiful storytelling in it. I'm a big fan of Rogue One. Selfishly, just right, so that John. I can have more hours of it. That's my answer. <laughs> I like it. I like that. John, what's your pick? It's hard um, to pick a saga film, so we're you sticking well, with our our thing here and going with the side stories. I gotta plug ourselves here for a second because I just remembered that we did an entire episode where we converted how Solo would be if it was a series. <laughs> yeah. So we broke up the movie and said this would be the first episode. This section would be the second. And we were all kind of like, that's pretty, that sounds pretty good. And then we, you know, we do this whole thing, Jackson. I don't know if you heard, but we had this Make Solo 2 Happen campaign. Yeah, no, no, um, I know. I'm well aware. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and I think a series follow-up still to this day would be killer. If you got Jabba in there, yeah. Boba Fett, Lando, all that stuff. No one needs to hear that again. We got to explore this Darth Maul thing that they started, right? Like- that too. And Kira. Yeah. Um, Can I try to predict yours, John? Uh yeah, go ahead. Obi Wan into a movie, hundred percent. That's my pick. <laughs> so here, here's why. First off, because it was originally supposed to be a movie. Um, two, listen to the answers we've been giving for peak Star Wars, and like you said, Jackson Vader happened to be in all of them. Um, I think Kenobi was good. I don't. Th- I think it was a B. I think it needed to be an A, A plus, because people have been wanting it for so long. I think there were some shortcomings with budget on visual effects that didn't, in my opinion, live up to the standard of even Andor, how good that looked. Um, And there were some parts in the exposition or in early episodes that probably could have been trimmed out. And I got to give a shout out to my friend, Kevin Smets. Um, People probably know him from the Schmodown, but he's a good buddy of mine. And he did his own cut of the Obi-Wan as a movie. It's two and a half hours long. Ah. And it was really cool. And uh, yeah, so check it out. Look up Kevin Smets if you want to Jackson and watch his cut because yeah, he's a great he's a great editor and he made it into a movie. He incorporated more of the classic themes that the Obi Wan series didn't incorporate in terms of music. Yeah. So shout out to Kevin. But I really do think it would have been great seeing that on screen. I think would have made a ton of money. So I think Disney would have been happy and just seeing that climactic battle on the big screen between Obi Wan and Vader uh, to finish it out and mm-hmm. then seeing you know, Qui-Gon at the end and, and do like a, a widescreen fade out. Like it just would have been like a really cool uh, yeah. theatrical experience looking back on it now. now and I it's you and, and Hayden, right? Oh like, yes. Boom. Yeah. Get the, the, the battle of the heroes going like, and again, I'm starting to get goose bumped up right now. Mm. So dad, dad and son two, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Kids like kids who were five when revenge of the Sith came out are now in their early twenties. They'd be there day one. Well, yeah. hey, we're uh, at we're at that precipice, right? Where like, yeah, there was the original generation of Star Wars fans who saw it when it came out in the theaters in the seventies and eighties, and then there's people like myself who came back into it around when the um the the prequels came out, just because it's how old I was. I wasn't alive in the seventies, so that's when I was a kid, and um. We're doing that. Now I have my kids and I'm in my thirties and exactly. these kids are finding Star Wars for the first time, whether it's through their parents who love it so much or on their own. 
in seeing these series and stuff. So these are going to be the nostalgia moments for people of the next generation of, of Star Wars fans, people like my kids and what they're like when they're adults, if they stay as Star Wars fans, they'll say moments that are happening now are the things that brought them to the universe and took them back yeah. to the originals and did all these things. Mm-hmm. But it was the gateway. Like for me, it was, I went to the movie theater on my birthday and I had a bunch of my friends and we were going to go see the South Park movie. I thought my mom dropped me and a couple of friends off at the movie theater to see the South Park movie. And we were children. <laughs> Sorry, mom, to <laughs> call you out like this. My mom <laughs> took me to see South Park and she left us there. And the movie theater guy said, all right, you know, what do you want to see? And I asked to go see South Park. And he's like, you can't see South Park. It's rated R16. And I was like, I think I was maybe 10. And I was like, but my mom dropped us off. What are we going to do? I have my friends. And he said, well, the only other movie that's showing right now is Star Wars. And it was the um, remastered versions building up to the the prequel release. So I went oh, and saw the special edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went and saw a new hope. All right. I knew about it. I knew who Darth Vader was and stuff, you know, like everybody does. But I remember watching it and being like, whoa, I never realized how cool this thing actually was. And that was my inter- entry awesome. into the thing, you know, and, and well, there I was going to say, let's, yeah, let's lead that into the last question and let's go quick on this. Cause, cause it Sorry. will essentially also lead into the discussion. No, um, what is one way that star Wars has I- influenced or inspired you in any capacity? John, I'm going to let you go first on this one. What's a, what's a quick way. The, yeah. So there's two for me that stand out. Um, one um, from my youth, you know, not being from a very uh, diverse town. Um, and then I go to college and, there's people from all different walks of life, races, religions, everything. And it's a like, it's a culture shock for you. And I think Star Wars helped me go into that with an open mind of embracing people because you see literally different species being best friends and different languages and different planets and everyone's pulling in the same direction. And I think it's a really good message of unity and people coming together regardless of where you're from. And it helped me be more open-minded to diversity and stuff like that, that may have taken me longer to fully embrace and understand. And I think it's a really important message that doesn't get talked about a lot. And then my second one is now that I'm a dad and like I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and my son's starting to draw and stuff. And whenever he asked me like, Oh, can I do this? I never say no. I'm always just like, draw whatever you want, whatever comes in your mind, use your imagination you're not, you're not limited to anything. And that's sort of what George Lucas always preached was like using your imagination to come up with anything. And so I like passing that on to him. And we'll see, like you said, Jackson, I don't know if he'll love Star Wars or not. He's dip, dipping his toe in a little bit now, but I like the element of using, opening your mind, using your imagination to create anything you want, whether it's a dinosaur with monster truck wheels instead of feet, go for it, Johnny, draw it up and do it. So those two things for me. Yeah. And mine's, mine's pretty quick, but it's this podcast. Um, and I don't know if, um, I mean, obviously we're a star Wars podcast, so it wouldn't exist if star Wars didn't exist, but I'm not entirely positive that I would be so into podcasting anyway. I remember when I was sort of brought into podcasting with my friends and I was kind of doing it with them and we were 
dreaming about what we think, you know, our shows could be like and whatever. And I very distinctly remember that of all the things that I loved, I was like the only one that I would be like, this would be the perfect podcast is if it was Star Wars. And <laughs> even at the time, it was like I, I knew that like Disney had come back, but I wasn't like fully completely bought in on on all of the the lore and all that stuff yet. Um, this was this was I was doing this podcasting stuff like before Disney bought it and right as they were buying it, um, kind of leading into The Force Awakens and stuff. But I just remember it was really like a very specific time that I said um, I wanted to do a, a fully, fully formed Star Wars podcast um, because it uh, it's the greatest of all time. <laughs> it's, you know, it is what it is. Jackson, so what's, much the, to talk uh, about, what's right? the one thing? You're never going to run. Oh, yeah, there's so, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. And we have a full discussion coming. Um, so quickly, what is your uh, what's your one way that Star Wars has inspired you? Um. I mean, kind of to touch a little bit on what you were talking about with when you become a parent and then you've got these kids and you're able to share these things with them. Like there is so much in Star Wars for everybody within that universe. You know, there's all these characters and somewhere along the line, everybody got a name and everybody's got a planet and a religion and a backstory and all these things and other interactions. And then there's the Legends series and then there's expanded universe stuff. There's games and something for everybody. You can find a character in there that you love. And then obviously I've done that with the biker scouts and then wanted to create something and just be a part of this somehow. And it, you always hear these stories about how when Star Wars was being made, nobody wanted to back it. Nobody thought it was going to be a success. They were doing it on effectively a shoestring budget for what was happening and Nobody knew what they were signing up for or being involved in, and it was kind of crazy. And look at the incredible success that it's had. And, you know, you hear similar things about Lord of the Rings too, right? Like nobody wanted to back PJ's Peter Jackson's version, Sir Peter Jackson, sorry. Um, and and look at the success that it had and what came from it. So maybe there's hope for another filmmaker somewhere along the lines, like me or like a young George Lucas and. And like a, a Peter Jackson, you know, granted they weren't total newcomers to the space, but look at the success that they've had with something that people did not want to back. So sticking to your guns and making the thing that you want to make and loving what you do and knowing that people will resonate with it if you bring an authenticity like that to it encourages me to keep going with all the stuff that I do because maybe I'll have my moment just like they did. Right on, man. I, I want everybody to know that that is, that is Jackson to his core. As long as I've known this guy, it's always like, you got to be you. You got to do what's right for you and, and be yourself. Oh, thank you, I love man. that, Jackson. That's really kind. Thank you. Um, but speaking of uh, inspirational things, let's go ahead and move on to the discussion this week. Obi-Wan once thought as you do. All right, this week's discussion, as you may know by the title and sort of the theme of a lot of these questions connecting to this, how Star Wars has inspired filmmakers for generations. So as we all know at this point, especially as diehard fans, Star Wars changed movie making and cinema in general from the moment it arrived in May of 1977. 
It's also inspired many filmmakers, big and small, and continues to do so today. So let's talk about the impact Star Wars had on creators. And with Jackson joining us today, uh, we can also get into the culture of Star Wars fan films and series and that aspect of uh, creation. Um, so I, I will just start things off by saying, like, you know, I, I am a big James Cameron fan. Uh, I think he does things that only three or four people on this planet have the patience and drive and will to do. And he the way he makes his movies is mind blowing. And the fact that he was a truck driver who saw Star Wars and got inspired to like you're saying, Jackson, chase that and be yourself and Mm -hmm. become a filmmaker. And then a few years later, we get the Terminator. And we all know how the rest of his story goes. He's still today breaking box office records with Avatar now. And I think he said he's still around. I think, (laughs) yeah, I think he said he's actually writing another Terminator. So if, you know, James Cameron being inspired by Star Wars and then uh, fan film creator. So like, like Jackson, let me like bring you in here. So, you touched on this at the top, so maybe elaborate on it more now that we're going to spend 20 or 25 minutes on this topic. Um, what exactly made you push to say, like, I am going to make this? And you brought up, like, hey, I know I can't monetize this, but was there one singular moment? Was it George Lucas and his personality? Was it something like watching documentaries like Light and Magic? And I know that probably came after you made your, your movie, but... Was it one particular thing or was it just a cultural thing about how Star Wars came to be? What drove you to uh, become a fan series or fan film creator? Um, you know, I, I think it was because I am in the 501st. I'm a 501st approved biker scout and a Thai pilot as well. And I have done a few trips and some events and some really cool stuff that made me realize how incredible this fan community is. You go to comic cons, you go to all the different expos and things that are happening and conventions and troops and Tokyo celebration. And exactly. All, all of these, is that we're going to hang out next? The next That's time I see will be in Japan, not in the place. Are you that going? We live. No, 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 no. He hasn't said anything. I don't know if he has any plans. I'm just saying, I mean, I will. I'll go if you go, James. We can hang out for sure. Oh, oh we're you going. Don't. Let me know. Oh, well, then <laughs> yeah. we'll hang yeah. out there. Um, Lacey will be there too. Yes. Yes. TRB is rolling in, man. Well, so I realize that there's this community out there that is so supportive and loving of everything Star Wars, and I thought that maybe I was a little bit scared to put my own writing and and stories out there and worry that nobody would care. So if I made a Star Wars thing, surely there's an audience for it, right? Because I know that there are people like me who want to see more Star Wars content. So I think that was the base element of going like, well, this is a more accessible route to tell and practice. And and, because, you know, I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to film school, especially after that and and get any kind of tertiary education or like college or whatever you guys would call it. And like, I felt like this could be my film school. And I, I talk with the crew about that. Sometimes you learn so much more doing stuff. So I thought that I could kind of kill a couple birds with this, with this one stone and see what we could achieve in something that surely there was an audience for, you know? And That's really cool, man. the response to it still has been more than I expected with that. I thought that there'd be people who watched it and were like, oh, cool, more Star Wars stuff. 
that was a fun way to kill half an hour or five minutes at a time. And some of the comments are so encouraging and positive and, and like more than I could have ever asked for from this community, wanting me to make more stuff, asking me questions, picking up on little details that I threw in as an actor on the day, not really thinking much about the overall arcing story, but just in a moment that was important to me. You know, there's this thing with the biker, the scout, he's a trained soldier, right? So I had it in my mind that whenever I'm holding the blaster, my finger is not on the trigger. It's in the safety positions next to it, just like how you taught to hold a gun when you're not firing it. And when he's, engaging in the moment he switches to the trigger because he's ready to go and the rebel doesn't do that because he's um not not trained so i did that on the day not really thinking it's not something that i put in the script it's not something that i thought about it was just something that happened on the day i thought this is what i should do and i've had a couple of people who are in the military or or things like that mention it to me that they noticed that and how cool it was to see this like soldier mentality of this guy and and somebody who should be trained in this kind of thing noticed that and that's so cool to me so that that's this whole universe has been inspiring to me, but the community that the universe has created is just as inspiring, I think. And that, that's an incredible thing too, that these knock-on effects of this thing that yeah. George Lucas made that nobody wanted to help him make has created a whole generation of incredible filmmakers from James Cameron all the way down to the bottom of the ladder with me. <laughs> and I think, I think one of the big important things that we should mention when it comes to why Star Wars is the thing that is um, inspiring so many people is, well, first of all, a, there was like not many movies that were like it at the time when it originally first came out. And and I think like people like had an idea of what a sci-fi film was. And then they went and they watched it and they were like, hold on a second. Like this doesn't fit into the bill of sci-fi. Like I thought it would, or, you know what I mean? It's sort of like reinvented what that could be because it was kind of genre mixing. Mm. But I think one of the most interesting aspects for me in Star Wars is that concept of uh, a lot of movies just having like the story that is the movie and that's it. And Star Wars, for whatever reason, has this world that feels like this is just one of the stories that's going on in this universe. And you know, somehow like every movie has some sort of like side universe that it takes place in. And yeah, sure. You could go visit that character's neighbors and see what they're doing in their world, but it's not the same way in star Wars. Uh, in star Wars, if somebody says we're going to go over and see what those guys are doing across the bar, all of a sudden, like, I feel like any audience member would be like, okay, that, that sounds crazy. Let's go check out that thing. Um, and that comes from, uh, creature design and that comes from uh, set design and that comes from, um, um, uh, outfits. What what are my hair and makeup? You know what I mean? Like, um, all the, the, the ways that they're dressing the characters and things like everything that went into this world was sort of set up with this, um, concept of like, the way we're going to write this line is not like I've got bills that I have to pay. It's like, 
I've got this guy from this bounty hunter from this other planet who I owe money to. So that's why I have to go. And it's like, that's the same sentence, but the way that it's structured in Star Wars sets up this thing where you go, Wait a minute! I want to learn more about the bounty hunter from Ord Mantell. Yeah, Yeah. we're picking up a story in progress. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, it's like not only are there like there's a character that's here. DNA. Say that again. Sorry, uh, not only is there like here's this character. His name is Bosk. He's a bounty hunter that exists over here. We know that he's a Trandoshan. Like it's here, and he's from this planet and they do this but how did he become a bounty hunter they're not a race of bounty hunters particularly they have their own thing too and there's culture there and then there's a religion there and then we learn about these people and the Tuscan Raiders and the Jawas how does everybody come to be and it's just insane it just grows and grows and grows the Rodians Greedo's a bad guy but we've got good guys in Clone Wars stories and some of them are Jedi it's I love that that's something that I love too, that you can grow on. You can pick anybody in that bar and write a whole movie about them. Sure. Yeah. And there's so, a, there's a, a blue collar element to how star Wars was made. Um, and that's why I love light and magic so much because it really lets you meet the people of ILM and how George Lucas took chances on people who did not have the skills that were required to do the jobs because he didn't want them to be, limited by the industry standard of those jobs. Mm-hmm. If they don't know what that job's supposed to be, they can come up with things that never happened before and they did. And mm-hmm. there's just this very well, Look what they did to Jurassic Park, right? Yes. Right. Yes. It's a very rebellious approach that he took uh of I don't care about the guilds. I'm taking my stuff away from LA. I'm going up north. I'm meeting these people Tell me someone who knows how to do this. He knows how to build that machinery. He's going to be my new guy to build droids. And just like mm-hmm. it was a very blue collar operation. And I think that lives in the spirit of Star Wars to this day. Now, granted, yes, it's now I'm uh, under the branch of uh, a major movie studio and it operates differently now than it did then. But that spirit is always still going to be there. And I think that is what still inspires people to this day. Like you sort of said, Jackson, it's like, you may not have the skills or know how to do something, but if you have a support system and you have people who believe in what you want to do, you can achieve it as long as you put the time into it and the heart and effort into it. And I think that's why Star Wars existed because people took chances on people. You know, uh, uh, Alan Ladd Jr. took a chance on George Lucas. George Lucas took a chance on these ILM people. Uh, you know, they took a chance on the people for the next movie. He took a chance on a screenwriter. You know, it's just taking a chance on people because you have a hunch and you're believing something and not necessarily because they are this perfectly established, polished thing. And then creating something that was needed at the time, because like James said, sci-fi up until that point was a bit um, uh, post-apocalyptic and, and, and dreary and on not hopeful and everything was shiny and pristine. And he's like, let's make it ugly, but let's make it hopeful. And we'll make it fast and we'll make it fun. And they flip the whole genre around to the point where I don't even call Star Wars science fiction. I think yeah. it's its own its own genre. So mm. I think it's no matter what happens to Star Wars going forward, that they'll never be able to escape the DNA of how it started. And I think that's a very important thing. And I think that still inspires people to this day. When 
when you bring up George Lucas taking risks on people, and I know this is like sort of out of his control and just sort of like let it become its thing, but I also think that he had the ability at one point to say, no, I'm not going to license my stories and characters to other writers and other creators for this like expanded universe that they want. But I think he had the foresight at that time to say, we're never going to be able to tell all of the stories about that random background character or the, the other reference here, or where did the characters go between X and Y uh, in the storyline and what other missions were they doing? And I think that that world that he created was so ripe with that concept that saying, um, that saying, yes, I'm going to let other people develop those stories is just going to continue to inspire more and more and more people because the people now like, um, that are working on the movies, uh, and the TV shows and the books and the comics and everything. Now I, I, I guarantee most of them are not just fans of star Wars produced by George Lucas or by a studio. A lot of them were into Star Wars because they picked up like the TIE Fighter series or they wanted to learn more about Boba Fett. And so they read some of his comics or something along those lines. Um, and they found inspiration through the the seeds of inspiration from the original. It like led to well, more Favreau. inspiring things. The yes. Mandalorian because he, he had a Boba Fett toy when he was seven or whatever it was, you know, ten it's just it's, yeah. it's just crazy. Yeah, this Jack, is really up- dating myself now, but I watched the original Ewoks cartoon series, the kids' Saturday morning cartoon. Oh yeah, I watched that on TV when I was a little kid, very yeah, very man. young in Dude, New Zealand. You know, like it. It's no, I remember knowing that it was Star Wars and it's part of this thing, and I loved it. You know, and it, it, it is crazy. I think that the smartest thing George Lucas ever did was allow the expanded universe stuff to happen when it did. And to allow fans to run with stuff and and complement his um, universe that he created, because it gave people the new stuff to seek out and grow their love for everything Star Wars, while there weren't films being made, and and then now it's helping them because they're making these films. They have just a, a trove of a treasure trove of characters and stories and things that they can pull right. from or be yeah. inspired by and bring into these movies. And they're tried and tested, you know, look at Thrawn. Exactly. You know, it's, I, I think that all of this is as big as it is because they let fans and people run with it as much as, as they were willing to let them and, and what they have done. Yeah. And you brought up Jurassic park and I, I want to hear what, you wanted to say about that because it's funny how the, you know, the digital era shows up and then they have to evolve or adjust. And the irony is that I'm sure a lot of people know is Jurassic park being made with the support and work of ILM who George Lucas created made him realize that he could pull off the prequels. So it was Mm -hmm. like he inspired those, those people who inspired the next generation to create the digital visual effects, which they paired with the practical, with the Phil Tippett's and those types of people. And then that movie under Steven Spielberg with that team inspired George, it like paid it back saying like, 
this is what we do now. And he's like, wow, we've reached this point where now I'm inspired to go back and revisit what inspired this. And I think that's amazing. Mm. For people that the full don't know, I might that, be huge. completely wrong too. But my understanding is that Jurassic Park was going to be stop motion dinosaurs. It was going to be puppetry, slow motion, like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas style. And um, they basically said, hey, give us a chance at doing this because we reckon we can pull it off with what we've developed and we're working on over here. And that Steven Spielberg was like, all right, show me what you got. And that yeah. changed cinema. So Star Wars is changing cinema outside of Star Wars, which is pretty crazy too. You know, yes. like that movie still stands yeah. up. 1993 computer graphics still 100%. stands up as one of the most, like some of these moments with the, the T-Rex and the car and stuff. It's, it's incredible. And the that's blending cool of the practical with the digital, like masterfully by Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. I, I I watched it not long ago and I was like, and not to throw shade or anything, but I think that movie looks better than like the recent Jurassic World uh, stuff. And, and, yeah. I, and I, I don't mean that because I know how hard those people work. I'm just saying just uh, objectively looking at it and and from my point of view on a subjective subjective standpoint i don't get kicked out of that movie by saying like "Ooh, that looks a little rough like jurassic park like you said 30 years it's still like wow man yeah that's really, the movie that especially, made me especially that t-rex scene i, I oh, want to really? be an actor that's because cool. of that movie because sam neill who plays dr alan grant he's a new zealander and that oh, was the right. first time i was like well, this movie's insane. I love dinosaurs because I'm a child in 1993. And yeah. this movie yeah. that, you know, is supposed to be scary, but I just thought it was incredible. And then I found out that the guy who's the lead role in it is from New Zealand. That's Whoa, awesome. I could grow up to do that from here. I thought only Americans got to do big movies. Oh, cool. Very so cool. That, that was one of the first times that I was like, I, th- I want to do that. I want to be in a Jurassic Park or, you know, and then obviously now it's like, I want to be in a Star Wars. <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah. Yeah. And Jurassic so that was Park a great was... discussion. How Jurassic Park has inspired filmmakers now. Well, I'll say this. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park, <laughs> I, I've seen all so many movies. Jurassic Park is the one theater experience. I think I, I was 10 when it was in theaters. It's, uh, it, it's my most in, impactful movie going experience of my life. Like I will never forget sitting in that theater as a 10 year old being scared out of my mind in the T-Rex scene and my cousin giving me a hard time, my older cousin about being scared, but just being like in awe of something because I was too young to see the original Star Wars in theaters. That was my first like one that was like, wow, like that was my mm-hmm. Jaws or my, you know, uh, Star Wars. So and so John and again, I are starting that, a Jurassic Park podcast. You guys can sign up. Yeah, I guess, yeah. The JP Jurassic, podcast. <laughs> yeah, here we go. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but it goes to say that even Steven Spielberg gets inspired by, you know, what George was doing. And they were good friends and they worked together yes. back and forth and all that sort of thing. And, you know, James and I were just in L.A. for the indie premiere. And we got to actually see, like, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, the actual people. And it's like there's so many people surrounding them and, like, taking photos of other people and stuff. And it's like, you got the two guys like right there. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that stuff's never lost on me. And that's why I am so obsessed with um, these documentaries and these books, like the JW Rinsler making of star Wars books. Um, And 
I think preserving that history because of the culture that existed then uh, and also the limitations too. I think it's, you know, look at movie budgets today, Indiana Jones, $300 million. It's not going to make its money back. Back then it wasn't this unlimited checkbook where you can, anything's achievable as long as you have the money for it. Back then it was like, we have to figure out ways to make this scene work. And we may have to, the shark isn't working. We need to not show the shark on screen as much. And then Jaws becomes one of the greatest movies of all time. We may need to go back a bit if the, you know, the box office isn't going to be there anymore and revisit those sort of creative limited ways of doing things. Because I think better art sometimes comes from that. Uh, That's why I love these costumes so much too. You know, obviously by Return of the Jedi, they had a lot more money to play with. But in those original films and having like the Shepperton Design Studios and those guys develop all of these costumes for the Stormtroopers and Darth Vader and these practical aliens and wearable prosthetics for people in the, the cantina. Like it's, it's a huge undertaking for a film that nobody wanted to make and that they didn't have this endless True. blank check mm-hmm. to write to make this whole thing. They're really as like – proper DIY filmmaking at its best and it's paid off for them. I can't imagine like the, the people at the time and George Lucas even of a new hope, you know, like I would, maybe that would be a good question to ask him. What would you say to the George Lucas who's just submitted his umpteenth draft of the script to a studio and been turned down for making it what would you say to him now in this moment and you know like yeah it's it's crazy to think about all that stuff what goes into it and and the fact that you can make this huge cultural phenomenon absolutely when they probably at times i'm sure they were like this is such a bad idea (laughs) what are we doing (laughs) i'm gonna lose my job (laughs) i mean i'm i would be really interested to see you know i don't know that there's any way you could ever figure this out but it's kind of like that like that dream sequence where like you know somebody goes to heaven it's like you can ask anything you know it's like how many people were wearing orange shirts on this day I, I kind of want to know what is like the most fan created intellectual property um, to the extent of like the most fan fiction written, the most fan films made, the most cosplayed or like uh, uh, on the schoolyard uh, people were like pretending to be X and Y. And I don't I, I'm not really considering so many other properties, but in a lot of ways, I feel like star Wars has to be up there um, from a franchise that has brought on as many fan films as it has on that subject alone uh, with Jackson being here. Um, It seems to me like there are far more star Wars fan films than there are, uh, Harry Potter fan films or, or Lord of the Rings fan films or Jurassic Park fan films, mm. uh, Forrest Gump fan films, you know, that one best picture. And I don't see very many people making <laughs> side Forrest stories. Gump you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Now we have to make one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but my thought on that just being that like, if this is the discussion on how star Wars has inspired filmmakers, um, they don't always have to be studio filmmakers like J.J. Abrams, who was like, of course I was inspired by Star Wars. Right. A lot of the cases, 
a lot of the films that are being made are are people saying, I have an idea for this property and I want to create it uh, because it exists and I love it and I want to take that next step. And I think, Jackson, you're a perfect example. That's sort of the story that you laid out with your thing. There's maybe bigger reasons why they ultimately want to be a filmmaker, but it is the thing of Star Wars that's saying, you know what would be a lot of fun to take one element of something that you love and and see how that grows into um, the career that you want to choose yeah. uh, in in regardless of anything, uh, you know, writing fan fiction stories because you want to be an author. And, you know, some of these Star Wars authors have been writing Star Wars for a long time and none of them ever published, you know, they're writing yeah. for the high Republic right now, because that's the big thing. But, you know, surely they wrote their own stories about, you know, Han and Luke and other things. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the conversation of how star Wars has inspired filmmakers for generations, um, goes beyond just filmmakers, but specifically on that topic, because like I said, Jackson is here. I, I find it very incredible that, uh, that not only, have you accomplished, you know, making this film, but your, your film could inspire other creatives to write their stories because they had never thought about that before, but that concept or that story or that element of your story also leads them to say, you know, I'm going to do this like, Oh, here's, in my mind, this is what Jackson did wrong, so I'm going to fix it. You know what I mean? And they could do their own thing, or they yeah. could say, um, "Oh, he, you know, he, I, I love what he did there, um, but what if it was in this era, you know, or something like that?" Um, it's incredible just the, how things stem off of each other, and a lot of that comes from like the expanded universe and other things, which well, just like things through. built and built and built and built, you know, into all these crazy stories uh, with all these crazy characters. Star Wars action figures. People like John Favreau talks about it ad nauseum. And uh, Robert Rodriguez posted a video of him playing with the toys and creating a scene in his backyard with his kid for Book of Boba mm-hmm. Fett. It's just yeah. like, it's like Jackson, I don't know if you like, you, I grew up in like the action figure heyday of late 80s, early 90s and Ninja Turtles and all that stuff. And I would create, I would create my own Ninja Turtle movies and stories. I wouldn't film them, but I'd be there making it with my hands. Oh, me and- too. Mine was, I mean, not to go back to it, but it was Jurassic Park. I had all those little Jurassic Park toys with little JP right. tattoos on their legs, and but I was you in were the garden. Sort of creating your own movie right there without even realizing yeah. it. Now, yeah, you didn't have cameras, and maybe you didn't uh, write scripts, but you were there creating a story. And that's like mm-hmm. the, sometimes those toys were the start of it. And like Star Wars was big yeah. on that too. Like Boba Fett came out before. Empire Strikes Back. People are like, what? Who is this? We don't we, know, but we love him. <laughs> we yeah. just saw a pretty public story too of a, uh, I believe, fourteen-year-old who was able to animate uh, a scene in the new Spider-Man Spider-Verse movie because oh, yeah. of his YouTube channel where he was animating using Legos, and uh, they said, it's "We wild. have we have this concept, we have this idea," and they reached out to the kid and they said. We, we really like what you're doing. We think that you've got a specific technique that we'd like to bring to it. And that so kid he was brought on at, at 14 to animate the section wow. for the Spider-Verse movie. And it's, it's, it's stories like that. I'd like to see more of that in Star Wars, but I feel like Star Wars right now doesn't have quite the um, 
Yeah, not quite there. The Wild West vibe anymore, where they're like they would allow something like that to happen, but they're they're getting there with this. So with visions, obviously, reaching out to different studios and being like, you can tell a Star Wars story in your style. It can be animated, it can be claymation, it can be a Wallace and Gromit style Star Wars pop music, and it is. They're they're essentially officially released fan films. Yeah, and it's canon, right? This is part of the universe. It's a Wallace and Gromit style thing. They're not. Then they're also. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that what the rule is? It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing. Well, it's not the only thing, but it's pretty much the only thing that's like, we're 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 gonna not consider that canon because it's we stories. want them to be like as crazy and different. It's as still possible. officially released. Yeah. 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 But yeah, they, yeah. Okay, they're not okay. beholden to all this no. other stuff. They can just do whatever they want. But I did appreciate too that another thing they've done is. Including um, five of the first members as actual stormtroopers and stuff in the films. Oh, it's yes. a good way to fill out the background, but they have the budget to just take a bunch of Rogue One stormtrooper costumes and put them on people and have them stand there. But instead, John Favreau and Dave Filoni wanted and engaged with the five of first to come and get so cool, man. real Star Wars fans to bring their hard worked on made things that there's always the fear that Disney is going to say, hey, you can't make that stuff anymore. You can't right. breach our IP rights with this fan community you've created. But I I feel like they they know the value that it brings because all those people that are buying and making and creating these things and making fan films, we're the ones that are buying all the toys and all their merchandise and seeing their movies yeah. ad nauseum. And, and understands the property. And we, we love and respect it, and we're not trying to steal from it. So in their way, supporting what we do as a father first and as creators and stuff as well is saying, hey, come and be a part of this series. It's top secret. We're not telling you what it is, but we promise you're going to have a ball. And they get to come and, and, and be on set, be in Star Wars. Yeah. Your TK number is, you can say that, I'm there. Official. Oh, at the Battle of um, – you know, I was with Darth Vader in that when we pinned Obi-Wan down in that bunker. Or I was there when we were firing <laughs> on the Mandalorian in that in that room, you know, and then in the bar. And that's so cool. I'm very and jealous because that those... happened after I moved back to New Zealand. Otherwise I might have been there too. <laughs> it's my Southern California the Southern California garrison were the ones that were lucky enough to get to do it. And some of my friends got to be there and be um, stormtroopers. And I have a Stormtrooper costume. I just haven't finished it to get it approved. I, and maybe they should film yeah. one of those new movies in New Zealand then, pal. Yeah. Maybe they should. Yeah, let's just Peter hey, Jackson's Disney, Star Wars. Guys watching. <laughs> let's just make After Endor. Feature, Worked feature out for film. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> it did. It really did. And, you know, this place looks like another planet sometimes. You can go places here that don't look like anywhere in Oh, America. I want to go there so bad, dude. I got to get out there. At some point. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, you got somewhere to stay. You just let me know. All man. right. <laughs> Check that box off. Yeah. All right. Thanks, dude. Because um, I want to um, work on more stuff the too. Thing- the response to this has made me want to make more stuff. And I think that there are places here that I want to use the landscape to um, show. Yeah, I wanted to ask you if you planet. had any other ideas for the next, the next one. The next I do. So my daughter is an actor as well. She makes um, a brief appearance in After Endor uh, as my daughter in the show, which was handy. She's actually in a, a Netflix series called Sweet Tooth. She plays Haley Mockingbird in season two. So she's a great little actor. 
and obviously Very more cool. successful than I am being in this massive Netflix series. <laughs> so I would, I would love to write uh, another story that's sort of based around not her character from After Endor, but um, about my daughter and giving her a character somewhere in the universe and, and doing something else around that I think would be really cool. I was really inspired by the um, the Knights of the Old Republic cinematics. Some of those are just insane. There's a really, really beautiful one about a little girl struggling with the force and the light and the dark side and stuff like that. It's just really, really intriguing to me. And as a parent, it's way easier for me to write characters about my daughter who I care endlessly about than, I don't know, maybe trying to find something for myself in there. So I'd like to explore that. So we'll see. I have some really cool ideas. I think they're cool. We'll see if they can come to fruition. But I'm also working on non-Star Wars stuff so that I can try and get it released through a, a studio at some point too. So maybe you'll see my name somewhere. Dude, Hopefully. I hope so, man. <laughs> um, so I always expect it. I think that's that's a good way to, to close this out. Um, I I love what you just said and, and sort of like that's sort of part of the theme is like, you know, handing it off to the next generation and you're talking about your daughter being an actor and stuff and who knows, maybe one day she'll get the itch to want to be behind the camera and about while also in front of the camera, you know, um, I think that's really cool because it is up to us now to hand it over to the next generation in time. It's still our time, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I think that's really awesome, man. So I, I look forward to seeing what else you got going on. And, um, uh, before we get out of here, I just want to give you an opportunity to, you know, plug, we still have to do our plugs and stuff like that, but I want Jackson to, to give you the opportunity to plug what else you want, would like to get out there to our audience. Um, and they like all sorts of nerdy stuff too. It's, you know, they're here for star Wars and for TRB, but they love a ton of stuff that's out there. So anything you want to plug and, and again, of course your, uh, after Endor series. So go for it. Thank you. Well, first thing I want to say is that I don't consider myself any kind of guru or expert or um, incredible filmmaker or anything like that. I'm literally just some guy who I didn't finish high school. I didn't go to college. I didn't do this. Stuff. I'm an idiot. So if I can make these things happen, you are definitely capable of doing it. So if you have any lofty dreams or anything that you think you want to do but don't believe in yourself to do, if I can get away with it to the level that I have with some of this – you're sweet. Go for it. Please go and do these things. You never know what's going to happen from it. So, you know, go forth. Um, uh, please follow at After Endor on Instagram and YouTube. Go and watch the series. Put a comment on there. Subscribe to what we make. When you know, the next thing comes along, you'll be one of the first ones to see it. But it all really helps to, to hopefully, I would love for the right person to see that series and go, huh, there's some good bones here or even just this is awesome and they love it too. And then, and something come from that because everyone that I brought on to that journey with me, all the crew, the people behind the scenes that you don't get to see, I would love to reward all the hard work that they put into it as well by getting something from it that we all get to go on this journey with, you know, cause there's like you touched on before the people that build the droids and the people that do the costumes and the makeup and the prosthetics. That's a huge part of the universe as well that we never see those people. We don't know who they are for the most part. So I would love to be able to take my team somewhere because of what we did. And that all comes from you guys who watch this, going and checking it out, putting the and, views on it, putting the comments it. on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I I have a, a a story in my heart for my history, a friend of mine who says he sort of owes his entire musical career to me because he put out a song and I I took it and tweeted it and it was seen by someone who said, I'm going to check this band out. And he liked them and he signed them and it was uh-huh. a big deal. And he told, he recalled, told the story and he was like, yeah, it was James's tweet. And so he's like, you can pinpoint it to that, literally to that. So he always comes back to me and he's like, I owe my entire career to you. And it's not anything I did other than I, I liked it. And so I shared it. And sometimes we forget how important that can be because it's just putting out, you know, like if you like this content, you're just getting more eyes on it and, and which means more opportunities for that creator. Yeah. It's free. It's free yeah. for, you know, to go in and show a little bit of support. You just click in a subscribe, you're ringing the bell or you're posting a comment or you're just watching the video and sharing it, whatever you do, all that stuff doesn't cost you anything, but you might just change someone's life. You never know. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Very so cool. after indoor is our project, um, go and check it out. My Instagram is at Jackson Hall, which is J A X I N H A L L. Um, give me a follow and, and keep up with the things that I do. I make clothes, I write, I illustrate, I try and do a bunch of different things. I guess to jack of jack of all trades, but a master of none. So um, leave some ahead. talent for the rest of us. Um, <laughs> I'm barely dipping my fingers into all these pies that I have them in. There's plenty of room. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate you guys' time too. Thanks for coming and listening to me rant on. <laughs> oh, it's. It, I mean. I think people are going to really enjoy this chat. I think it was really good. Um, uh, definitely going to miss Lacey. So we'll have to have you back. Yeah. I'm no uh, Lacey, for- but I'm glad I could fill the third box. In the- <laughs> right. It's yeah. been, it's been a good time. Um, so we do want to say a special thank you to our supporters, uh, our supporters on uh, Patreon, of course. And then of course, anyone who listens and watches to TRB, uh, make sure you do subscribe to our channel and anywhere you get the audio feed, whether that's Spotify or Apple. We're almost at 550 ratings on Spotify. So if you want to get us over that hump, that'd be cool. Uh, and I think we're doing pretty well on Apple ratings as well. But spread the word. Um, it's like Jackson was saying, you know, telling people and like James was saying, sharing is how we grow here at TRB. So keep telling your friends who like Star Wars about us, especially as we get closer to the Ahsoka series coming out. And yeah, our Patreon, patreon.com slash resistance broadcast. If you want to support us, tiers start at $5 a month and it helps us grow and allows us to do what we want to do here, uh, including going to events and uh, building the podcast, creating new endeavors. Uh, We appreciate that very much. And we have to give a special shout out to our generals and spice runners, Carmelo, John Reese, Jetta Rosewater, Frank Grande, Darth Hurricane, Nick Kratz, Christian Morales, Brian Smith, Matt Chitty, Danny, Mike Ramori, Matt Heath, Brennan McLaughlin, Count Pepto, Sneaky Zebra, uh, who we mentioned earlier, fan film creator, mm-hmm. Aaron Ellington, Micah Harrison, Colin Cormier, Jolton, Jedi, DiMaggio, Diana, and our Spice Runners, David Probus, Neil Shaw, Kendall Gellner, Dave Hornack, Tom Senesi, Andrew Staley, Jeremy Myers, Michael Fry, and the Fort Worthy. And thank you all so much. And anyone who supports TRB in any capacity, we appreciate it so much. Um, for me, Johnny Hoey on Twitter and my movie podcast, Just Like the Movies. Uh, we will be doing Titanic at some point. We're just on a little bit of a hiatus due to uncertainty with personal stuff going on in my life, but we will get that out to you. Uh, James, how about you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Myra Trunks. Oh, yeah, threads. I get it. Am I on there? I think I'm on there. Yeah. Uh, and Lacey, again, at Lacey Gillerin, and it's Lacey, at Lacey Gillerin everywhere except TikTok. I think she's, it's Lacey Gillerin. I think that's correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Jackson, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, definitely could have gone longer, so we'll have to have you back to talk about more Star Wars nerdy stuff. Uh, and maybe some dinosaurs, who knows? But uh, yeah, please. Been an I mean, awesome we didn't want to spoil anything with After Indoor on this one because it's new, you know. So hopefully, maybe in a little while, we can come and we can talk spoilers and we can go into All the right. why on some of those things because I don't want to give away too much today. But I would love to talk about why I made decisions about the things that I did that we talk about in After Indoor that I, I feel like are quite interesting and people engage with in the comments. Maybe we can have a discussion about that if people are interested. Maybe they can let us know if you want to see me back or go and watch the show and then come back and comment below what you thought. Definitely go watch the show. Check out After mm-hmm. Endor without a doubt on Twitter. Um, six episodes uh, all have cliffhangers. So space them out. Watch one every week. No, I'm just kidding. Go watch. Or you can watch the 30 minute it. version. Go yeah, there you go. Watch the 30 minutes. Now. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Jackson, this has been a blast. So thank you. And to thank you to everybody. Uh, we'll thank be back you. with you with TRB live later this week. So until next time, have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time right here on the resistance broadcast. See you around kids. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.